2: Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions.
3: So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner.
2: Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore.
3: It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it.
2: We hope you enjoy the show.
3: Hi, thank you so much for downloading our podcast, the Honey & Co. My name is Itamar Sulovic. Me and my wife have some restaurants in Petrovia and a couple of cookbooks. Ever since we opened our restaurant, we've been meeting so many incredible people who are cooking, who are making food, who are writing about food, and we just want to have a little bit more time with them. We invite our favorite people once a month or twice a month to our deli, Honey and Spice, and we sit down and have a longer chat we cook from their books and from their culture, and this is a recording of these talks. I hope you enjoy it. So tonight, there's no one special, really. It's just us talking to Hester, our lovely producer, about our new book, which is called So It.
2: It's called Honey and Co at Home. Yay! Yay we have new a new book. book. <laughs> it's just the two of us and Hester uh, talking about what it was like to write the book, why we wrote the book.
3: The kind of food that's in it, the kind of food we cook for each other, for our friends, for whoever's around really.
2: The food we grew up on.
3: The food we will die from.
2: Maybe not die from.
3: Go team! (laughs) Normally we are asking the questions and tonight we are relinquishing. The, the power to Hester who is uh, producing honour, yeah. Actually,
4: yeah, who produces
2: yes. the talks on a
4: regular basis
3: yeah so go Hester <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah so guys this is what Itamar does yeah. going to talk uh, this uh, oh. thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> for doing it. I was just going to interrupt Hester it every, is every sentence yeah. she says thank you so welcome to the Honey and Cope with uh, Itamar Sulevich and Sarit Packer that's these two they um, they have too many things to their names but what they've done most recently is write their third book together which is called At Home Middle Eastern Recipes from Our Kitchen now why is this one Our Kitchen what's Our Kitchen this time why is it different to the first two
2: well it's should I wait? are you going to answer? <laughs> we're going to do this a lot, we're not talking over each other. We're gonna Should we do like a speaking stage? Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. What's different? Well, the, the first two books had a very specific brief. It was, you know, the food of Honey & Co. You know, this is what we were doing. This is what, you know, we were asked to do in a way. So it was very much about the restaurant. It had to be, you know, the restaurant food. And restaurant food, even in Honey & Co, that it's quite simple and homey food, is very specific you know there's a lot of process involved always and with this book actually it wasn't meant to be a a home book at all it was meant to be a book for this place it was meant to be a book for honey and spice and all the food that we do for this place and then we just kind of jotted down all the recipes that we want to put in and we jotted down the recipes the food that we cook here and we couldn't kind of fit it all, we couldn't fit everything that we wanted for this place in the book because actually this place is, is a lot of, you know, is a little bit of a...
2: No, also there were a lot of things that we cook for ourselves that wouldn't work here, that don't work in this kind of aspect of sitting on the on a display and being served in a box or being served at room temperature. And the more we wrote down recipes we wanted to do, the more we realized...
3: That actually it's not the daily book, it's the, it's the home, c- home food. And that was really, you know, once the penny dropped, it was, you know, it was such a delight because we knew that this is, we had to go back to the publishers and say to them, actually, (laughs) the book you bought is no way the book that you're going to get. But uh, a much better one, I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah, a nicer one, I think. But it it was a a big change because it really was supposed to be this kind of big deli thing and, you know, and celebrating here. But... I think it came
4: out a bit closer, a bit more personal for us and a bit, a bit more approachable maybe.
3: Yeah.
4: And at home is a really uh, welcoming title, I think, because also it is well done, yes. (laughs) 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 Um, Because now you're recognized as what Honey & Co is and I think, you know, I've had the privilege of being in your home, but letting other people in through the food that you cook in your house i think is the nicest way to introduce people to who you are a bit more because your restaurants are who you are and i think they're some of the friendliest restaurants in london and you can get that feeling that you're going into somewhere that you recognize maybe that you wouldn't do in a lot of other places and that's partly down to you guys and then your staff and then your food and the setup and how that works but i think the next level is going into your kitchens which i think is very special but i want to know a little bit about first of all what at home food meant when you were at your first homes so your homes of where you started in this life. Um, (laughs) What does at-home food mean for you, and what did it mean when you were children?
2: Well, probably very different for the two of us, because I actually grew up in a very English household in Israel. So my parents are both English, and they moved there um, before I was born. But in our house, we were very much um, kind of a very funny English kind of, you know, chicken pies and uh, (laughs) boiled vegetables and...
3: Um, Bean and barley soup. Bean
2: and barley soup. Yeah, a lot of kind of things. And, uh, you know, a few kind of Jewish staples. But a lot of this kind of very English food that, you know, that my parents missed. Or I suppose just knew how to cook, probably. And then all our friends would come over. My brother and sister and my friends would come over and be like, What is this weird food? Why are you you eating just boiled green beans? What is that? (laughs) Who does that? And... um, Who eats broccoli? Like nobody eats broccoli. So all these (laughs) kind of funny things and then, and Marmite, which is like, you know, (laughs) for Israeli kids to like, just smell Marmite was like the worst thing for, for all of my friends. But as a result also, they kind of, because they always felt our house was so weird in its Englishness, then from a very young age, they would invite me to eat in theirs to see what their houses meant. And in Israel, that means pretty much everything. Uh, which is quite fun so I got to taste quite a lot of Egyptian and Romanian and Bulgarian and a lot of Arab food which I would go with my father because he used to work kind of with a lot of people Druze which is another kind of uh, type of food in Israel and kind of and my family loves food and they all can cook but no one is a cook and we kind of just went eating everywhere so at home was very very English and every time we went out was pretty much everything else and a lot of weird things like Chinese food was a, like, my birthday thing was a Chinese food. My, my brother's was an Indian food, you know, each one of us chose like a birthday specialty that we would go and eat, um, so yeah, a lot of kind of different, eclectic food. And did you like the food you had at home or was it when Yeah, my mum's an excellent cook, she's, you know, she kind of learned, I think, we always <laughs> laugh as she learned everything from Delia Smith or good housekeeping and <laughs> stuff like yeah. that, but... Um, but in Israel. But in Israel, yeah, and
4: she's very good at it, no? She cooks nice food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How does it work eating English food when it's thirty-eight degrees? Did it? Did you, you have put
2: air? the egg on <laughs> <laughs> No, I think. Look, we had a lot of stuff that was like an egg salad. I don't know, this was very kind of in the (laughs) 70s or 80s, like you'd get like some gem lettuce and a boiled egg and some mayonnaise and that was like an egg salad. I don't know why. So we had a lot of stuff, oh, avocado, where you just take out the center and put some vinaigrette in the center. Like all of these, like really, if you open a good housekeeping, probably like all of those are there. So we had a lot of the kind of lighter options. Uh, And in winter, yeah, a nice soup or nice chicken pie.
3: Ismael, what about you? Well, this is, what I, uh, this is what I was thinking, that even though we both of us had such, you know, different, you know, we grew up in different ca- parts of the country and very, very different backgrounds. Do you want to
4: explain just briefly what, so what that is? I'm
3: from Jerusalem, which is in the center of Israel, so it's from, you know, northern Israel. And she grew up in, you know, like a, a, the British household, like she said, and I, I my family, they're, they're Yemeni and Ashkenazi and like a big kind of Jewish mix. And we we would have that food, you know, the the traditional kind of, you know, my my grandma and my mom would cook that Yemeni food that is, you know, very heavily seasoned, very highly spiced, slow cooked, uh, very, you know, lots of chili, lots of coriander, these things. So very, very different background, but still that kind of experience of going, you know, just crossing the hallway to your neighbor's house, you'd have a whole different culture of home cooking you know you you travel a different country maybe or a different tradition and i think you know now that i think of it this is kind of what we have in common that kind of breadth of of inspiration and exposure
2: i think i think coming from i think
3: actually a lot of israeli kids sorry
2: i was just (laughs) taking a breath i just want to sneak a little thing yeah Just because we just came back from Italy. And Uh, in Italy, everyone eats... We just went on holiday. But everyone eats the same kind of foods. And they all eat the pasta and the tomatoes and the aubergines and the pizzas. And uh, the tradition is kind of... Yeah, you have variations. And you travel the country and there's variations. But the essence of the food is kind of the same essence. Because Israel is such a place of immigrants. And everyone comes from everywhere. There is no
3: food. And it's a new country, yeah.
4: Yeah. So... uh, this is it was like exciting everywhere was different I remember oh. it's you telling me once that the there was a national dish if there was to be a national dish of Israel it would be uh chicken, chicken schnitzel, schnitzel yeah, yeah but with hummus and harissa and pita and <laughs> yeah, yeah. and how that Absolutely. basically just shows the complete mashup of it yeah. but so did you did you realize that that was I suppose it wasn't special but oh. did you realize did it feel normal to cross the hall and have dinner with other people? Or yeah, yeah,
3: not? absolutely. And that's just cultural... Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it was it was weird when we came to this country and we have... You know, this is Bridget is, is one of our oldest friends in, in London. We've we known each other how long?
2: Since we moved. Twelve
3: years, yeah. And she would come. We lived in a poxy flat in Clapham North. And she would come over for dinner, and we do, you know, Israelis always eat salad ch- salad, with every meal. <laughs> N- and it's true, you know, with every meal. And then we would come, we would just like dinner, and, you know, of course, salad. And Bridges was like, "Yeah, Saritamar salad, this is what she calls us. Saritamar salad. so exotic, or, or th- th- that's your dish." And we we're like, "No, it's not our dish. It's just like everyone's dish. But it wasn't. So when, when we came here, we started realizing the peculiarities of of, the, of everything that we took for granted.
4: And if there was a meal from home, like a weeknight meal after school when you were children, maybe we would recognize more what you might have, sweet. But for you, tomorrow. were there, were there things like the chopped salad that were always at home? Like, what? Yeah. Describe a meal time on a, just a weekday after school in your house
3: when you okay interesting so there's uh um, can you remember
4: that far back
3: yeah I d- no for sure because <laughs> he
4: remembers yeah
3: the meals I remember absolutely <laughs> like if we my brother and I we had kind of our little repertoire you know we loved it was horrible things that we did but we but <laughs> well, with food oh yeah 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 <laughs>
2: oh okay
4: yeah. Yeah, yeah
3: amongst other things and uh the things we love, the thing we we loved cooking our own food. We loved it from very early age. From like
4: who? You know, why? Forth. Why? Where did that come from? Your parents encouraged it, or everyone cooks in no, Israel? No, I think
3: you just do. You know, mm-hmm. I think you just do. And we like our favorite thing. I'm not joking. Is we had like a little you know kids oven. Do you know the ones? And we would get chicken from we go from the, go to the butcher and get chicken and rub it in mustard put it in that little oven till it was like completely burned on the outside, raw in the middle, like black outside, completely raw in the middle and we loved it. You, you ate know, it? We, we loved it. We were just gnawing on raw chicken. <laughs> and all of our childhood.
4: At what age was this?
3: Like five.
4: Not five. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. One hundred percent.
4: So that's that was a normal evening in the in <laughs> the Yeah, I in mean, Chelsea. you know,
3: like my mom would cook, and we had like a, a lady that would cook for us sometimes. But this is this was kind of our thing that we loved doing, and we'd cook pasta and we cook omelets. You know, there's still my, my father's omelet that I always cook for. So all these things, you know, it's kind of like like everyone eats at home. It's very very. You know, simple five-minute food, that's kind of a little bit weird maybe, but it's your family food. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we are chefs, we're professional cooks, and we're very, you know, maybe our waistline can tell we're very into our food. Uh, So in our home, of course, things are maybe a little bit more standard is higher. Maybe I can say. Yeah, no,
4: I, I can testify to <laughs> that. Yeah, food yeah. uh, cooked most of the time. Yeah,
3: the chicken is cooked. <laughs> 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 yeah. So no more do we know on raw chicken. No,
4: no but uh, there's still time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, So you two then oh. you met in working in tel- in Israel and in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you two when home became just you two and you like what because home now is what you two have together. So when when that started, did you have any? Issues with trying to, com- you know, what your home cooking routine was, or did it did it blend quite nicely, or were you just shattered because you were working chef's hours and you didn't? Have answer, no, I think yes. I'll answer a Surrey, bit and you can first,
2: and you can be more coherent after I answer. Because a I have bit. a
3: better, you have a good
4: answer.
2: Is <laughs> yours better, Sari? Please <laughs> okay, begin. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. I'll start, and then you can make it better. Um, <laughs> I think we were very excited to to introduce a lot of the food to each other, and I think we kind of. Fu- one of the best things that happens in Israel is you rent these flats in Tel Aviv, which they're huge flats. It's nothing like London, you know, but they're like completely not furnished. You collect all your (laughs) furniture from the street, whoever's thrown out something and you kind of, you know, collect from your grandparents, whatever dishes. And we kind of took a box, you remember when we moved into our flat, took a box of old stuff from my grandparents' house all these old pyrexes and stuff. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, Like, yeah. really
2: funky, weird kind of... And that, that was s- all we had to cook square in. square pan. <laughs> that was excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, what well,
3: happened to we crucified sometime.
2: I think we killed it. We killed a lot of pans in our time. Um, and we had a market that was walking distance, like Carmel Market in Tel Aviv was walking distance from our flat. And it was just fun. We'd go shopping, get all kinds of stuff, and just cook it. I wanted to learn a lot of stuff that was kind of his tradition because I wouldn't know how to do any of it. So Jahnun is like a Yemeni bread, which is kind of made from a really, really elastic dough. And you stretch it out and you roll it and you bake it overnight. And it comes out in these kind of rolls of very golden, dark brown uh, pastry. And I really wanted to learn how to make it. And I spoke to his uncle and it's, you know, it's like a crazy kind of so group crazy. of Yemeni <laughs> people He's telling me different instructions so how to do it. And I spent all my time making this and I put it and it's got a special pot with a lid on and I put it there and I rolled the whole thing and I was so excited. I put it, um, I made it and I put the oven on and I went to sleep and Ethan all said, you can't believe in the morning the house smells like, it just smells amazing and it's going to be amazing. And, you know, so we went to sleep and we were so excited and we f- we had a very tiny flat. So from our bed, we could see kind of the light of the oven reflecting all night mm-hmm. and we were like, oh, lovely. And then we fell asleep, woke up in the morning. I was like, it doesn't smell like anything. Are you sure it's a... Uh? And then I went into the kitchen and I just left it on the side. And oh. the oven was on all night. I'd oh. made the thing. <laughs> but it was just not in the oven. I think the instructions didn't go all the way to tell me to put it in the oven. So we did stuff like that quite a lot. Um
3: <laughs> But it was it was nice because that, that, that was like kind of like... You know, it was a long time ago, actually, but it was kind of like playing house. You know, cooking together, cooking for each other, was really a, a big thing. And we had, you know, our things that we do in the, you know, in phases. Like we used to have this pasta dish that we'd have all the time, and then you know that moved on, and then we had another dish that we did all the time. And then when when we came here, actually, we were, we didn't know anyone. You know, it was completely lonely. It was just the two of us in you know really epoxy flat and i think this is when kind of things accelerated for us because then we were kind of each other's only friends in a way Mm, for a while for a long time and And i I
2: think that we got closer to the bridget came (laughs) 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 Um, and then we went closer to the food from home so if we were trying like pasta dishes or a bit of asian dishes in israel and stuff like that when we moved here We missed all those flavors. You couldn't buy good hummus anyway, you couldn't buy like, you know, lentil rice, all these things, or tahini, all the stuff that was comforting to us. And we started cooking more and more of this kind of food, just to kind of feel a bit more, at least when we were home, because we were cooking in, in modern European restaurants. So the food we were cooking wasn't that And when we went out to eat in London It was exciting So we went out to Indian and and Japanese And all of this stuff So at home became very much this kind of Food of Israel Everything And as much as we could make of it To remember those flavours
3: And in in a lot of ways We didn't see it like this at the time But you know Having the the new people in our life Coming over and have the salad Was just like you know, this is who we are, you know, kind of tell a little story about us that you can't really articulate with words because it it speaks a whole different level. So, you know, when it was more than kind of our way to, you know, enjoy the food that we enjoy, but it was also very much about putting ourselves on the table in a very literal way.
4: Yeah. And I think you probably developed that and then the restaurant when that then happened I mean that's fast forwarding quite a lot I know but that became your outlet for your food from home so when the restaurant or oh, did it
3: yeah yeah very, very much. much so so I mean, when in, in a physical sense all our kitchen went to the restaurant like pots pans peelers knives everything, everything you know that we do, just because we, we, we needed the, the stuff.
4: So what was it like transferring when you brought what was your home into a restaurant? Was the, did you feel like you were bastardising things or did you feel like you had to change stuff or were you happy with just kind of presenting what your home food was into, into what Honey & Co. became?
3: Well, it was a little bit uh, trial and error. Okay. We, we, we weren't sure, you know, really we weren't sure what it's going to be, Honey & Co., we just opened the doors and we did what we did and we kind of got feedback from you know the people and then we kind of whittled it down so from kind of that repertoire what stayed is what people liked mm.
2: and it's still on the menu so yeah. things that like uh, there's this lamb dish with cauliflower sinia that Itamar always used to make for dinner for me and We kind of put it on the menu in Honey & Co. And Honey & Co.'s kitchen, you have to understand this, is like a home kitchen. It's got a four burner stove, like a regular home stove. It's got a tiny little space and there's nothing there that is different than a home kitchen. So translating, it's not, you know, in Honey & Smoke maybe it's a bit different now. We have the grills, we have fryers. It's like all this exciting stuff. But Honey & Co. is a home kitchen. It just happens to be underneath a restaurant. And... So, exactly that same dish. As you would make me for dinner, we did. We're like, let's make it. You know, let's see. And this still comes back. This is six years into Honey and & Co. And this, in a rotation, dish always comes back to the menu. And it's still one of the biggest sellers. Same with, like, Sloka Clam shawarma and stuff like that. Everything, you know, it, if it's good, it comes back again and again. If it's yeah, bad, and it, and uh, it's you know. Not bad. It's not, not bad. I won't say
3: bad because, you know, food is generally good you know it's wholesome it's fresh it's not you know rubbish but i think some things kind of work in a restaurant environment some things completely don't Mm. and some things kind of straddle both environments
0: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: So when you were, when this started, you kind of, that was it. You could pushed off on a little cart and it's been, I mean, maybe until the last, well, no, I'd say still now, you've just been hurtling along since Honey & Co opened. So what happened to your home Eating life for the two of you once Honey and Co opened.
3: Well, you me. <laughs>
4: yeah,
2: okay. because you do most of the cooking at home you know, <laughs> as well. I think th-
3: this was this is kind of in a way where this book helped us because we had you know again like Honey and Co just opening was such a whirlwind, and like I said, everything we had went into that in a in a in a literal physical sense. Our kitchen went there. And, you know, then there was the books and la-la-la. Most and of the food
2: in the flat went there as well. The yeah,
3: yeah, like... Yeah. Especially if
2: it was Middle Eastern. Like, like dry
3: store ingredients. Yeah. We, we couldn't keep, like, if, if we'd say, oh, yeah, I have a bottle of tahini, and then, you know, someone would call and say, oh, we're out and we'll take it. So it, w- it was very much, like, the entire focus shifted to work for, for a long time. For a long time. And then we opened in 2016. We opened, you know, Honey and Smoke in here, and that was just, like, insane. Uh, and and there was no home and you know there was I'm I'm exaggerating of course but you know home shifted and where we lived was kind of that other place where we rest but still when we did kind of the the time that we did claw back and did have the time to to cook or you know especially when, when, when people come over and you go a little bit the extra effort or when you suddenly have kind of uh, a, a weekend or something like that that you can say I can do this thing that I really wanted to try, or you have like um, you know like someone's birthday or something like that that you say you know let's go to town. And when you know after we've opened or, you know after we've opened Honey and Smoke and then things kind of came down a bit, we started to think about this book, and that kind of made us shift focus and made us carve time you know kind of forces because it's very easy to get sucked in to that vortex and of course you go crazy so in a way this book has you know saved us a little bit Mm
2: -hmm. and it doesn't have everything like we i mean we obviously cook a lot of food that isn't middle eastern but we've decided not to not to start with all of that in this book because it's it's you know it's a whole world, and we're chefs, and we love food and we love cooking, so we do cook a lot of Asian and we, we you know we cook a lot of Italian food and stuff like that, but we kind of kept that you know that maybe appears in the f t now and then when we sneak a recipe and there isn't Middle Eastern and stuff like that, but this we wanted to keep still to the stuff that makes us feel most at home
4: and that's a that's still a broad spectrum it's still quite broad yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this okay, so this beautiful. Beautiful book. It's so separated. Nice. <laughs> you can't say <laughs> yes, that. It is. No, that it is. It is it to we're we're it just really so is. in love.
3: We <laughs> just got them. When did we get them? Yesterday. Yeah,
4: yeah but we yeah, just came just back, so back from nice. holidays. Hot off the yeah. hot, hot off the, off the, press. the press. Yes. Yeah. So it's separated into in some great sections. In two weeks, will be like one. <laughs> <laughs> in some great sections, which we've kind of covered a bit, but the two are cooking for the for us two. So things that came out of you two being together, and then. For friends which is those rare moments where you got the chance to cook for other people when they came round, and you got to share a bit of who you were and then for the weekends when that started to happen slowly as well um and uh i want you to i thought you're still going to read this this story Um, how long is it it's short um so you will all be i'm sure buying this book as fast as you can but i don't know if you know this because you may read it tomorrow's Column already, and have read stuff he writes, but it's hysterical. And I was reading this in uh, on a train the other day, and just found it very funny. I'm not going to build up too much, but this is a story that introduces the for the weekend chapter, which I think took you know tells a lot about you two, and also the lengths you will go to to make great food happen uh. for people. We read
3: all of it. No,
4: just from, or you can just tell it because it happened to you, so you know the story. No, you. But your writing's beautiful, so. I don't know what stories you.
1: <laughs> he doesn't
2: know how to read. He just knows how to write. <laughs> Do you want to just tell the story? Ah, this yeah. one. No, this is funny. You can read that. Yeah, That's you read fun.
4: that.
3: No. <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> it's just the whole bit about, you know. Okay, I'll just read it quickly. No, no, just that they have some context.
4: Okay. A little bit,
3: yeah, go It's because we're quite new to weekends. We never had that in our (laughs) lives. We never, because we always in restaurants. Saturday, Sunday is like your peak time. And when we opened Honey & Co., at first we couldn't open on Sunday because we, we, no one, you know, we couldn't work seven days a week. And also we were, you know, it was our prep day, it was our deep clean day. And then it kind of stayed like this because... It's really nice to have, like, one day in the week that the restaurants are closed. Okay, shush. Wait. Uh, <laughs> just for, one, like, 30 seconds. And this is how, this is about, like, our first attempts at weekends. After, you know, we've become... Go!
2: <laughs> Five years on, we still close on Sundays. And while we truly love our working week, we are no longer looking to revisit the idea of opening up. We discovered weekends. We are weekend people now, and we do weekend things, so we have something to talk about on Monday. One time we went to Paris to meet friends. Croissants for breakfast, an afternoon, beers and ice cream in a Place de Vosges. A bistro dinner, way too much food, way too much wine. We had to sleep it off on the train back. Another memorable one was the country house party we went to. About to miss the train, we ran around the UK's busiest railway station, trying to find the right platform. I was balancing a rapidly melting chocolate mousse cake against my shirt front, while my wife's situation was much worse. Her wrap dress was unwrapping, giving our fellow travelers much more than a glimpse. We didn't make that train, and we were stupidly, stupidly late for the party, but we certainly remember that weekend, and I'm sure whoever saw the tubby chocolate-covered man and the half-naked woman <laughs> running around Clapham Junction that day will not quickly forget it either.
4: Thank you, thank you. Wish
1: that wasn't (laughs) a true
4: story.
2: (laughs) Now I have wrap dresses that don't (laughs) detach,
3: they're
4: attached.
3: I, w- I wish, I wish, I wish <laughs> to God that wasn't a true story. It is so true. <laughs> it was such I wish, wish, wish to God that
4: I had seen it. <laughs> you,
3: I'm sure that you can ask the CCTV and Clapham Junction. Oh, they must so have they had have such it, a good
4: day. And they're just like, <laughs> that, yeah. They, if they have a Hall of Fame, you're you're absolutely oh, you. on it. Absolutely. So for the weekend then, this is the time where you get to test things out. We've been doing these talks now. You've been doing these talks in the deli for a year, just over a year. And these talks have encouraged you because you have to read through things and talk to people about their food. And, and you guys do a wonderful job of actually getting in touch with the book and, and the food and the person, which I think a lot of things miss out. And you also have your special take on it. But what that's required you to do is get involved and cook from the books to to, to test things before you then present them to these lovely people who come along and pay. So um, how has that those talks uh, affected what you're cooking? Because I'm imagining the weekend me, is the me, time me. when... When the time you get to... All right, more your hands up. When when the time you get to, to test these things is probably in your precious, but now, you know, traditional weekends.
3: Um, so we, when like after we've, we've already had the idea for the book and we started working on it, that we said, let's maybe take a step back and see how a recipe works. Maybe we can improve it. You know, maybe our, our technique or what we do. And we, we do have a tremendous, I'm sure everyone here, tremendous amount of cookbooks at home that we never touch. You know, they, they, we go through, we see them once, we love them, and then they go on the shelf and we never cook from. So we had the, the challenge that we did lasted for three weeks. That We said every week someone needs to pull out a cookbook, choose kind of a menu, and the other needs to cook it for them. And that was such a great idea and such a learning curve. And actually
2: the beginning of the food talks because we realized at home we weren't going to do it. So we kind of said, oh, but we can, you know, we're in a position now to ask these people to come and maybe they'll talk to us and we still do the same. We pick out the kind of four recipes,
3: you know, and we are quite strict when we do the food talks, we follow the recipe to the letter. And, you know, of course, we we read the book, we read all the notes, all the, you know, before you start, after you finish everything. And it is, reading is, of course, it's good, it's very informative. But when you follow the steps completely in someone else's footsteps, it's always such a learning curve. And with every single person that came here, it was just, you know, incredible how much you know, if you say, "Yeah, yeah, it's a stew. I know how to cook a stew." No, forget what you know. Follow the steps.
4: Yeah, because you, you told know? me that, what, which really surprised me—that you, as chefs, you cook from recipes, but they're recipes that you either created or they're noted down, or they're for you know, you're cooking for a, a service, or you know, the all recipes that you make at home, you probably just cook through your natural skills. Whereas, was it was it in Samarkand in Caroline's book that you made? what was that clove?
3: that I'm not going to say that clove. <laughs> it took me like six hours to make I wanted to really I wanted to chop my fingers off it was <laughs> so painful but it was so I was I can't think of something that I was more proud of cooking it came out amazing it looked amazing it the smell of it the process was so rewarding and it was delicious it was you remember it was incredible yeah and it's you know, and, I, and and I cooked it and I said, all right, that's going to be like my go-to thing. I'm going to cook plough every five minutes. I don't cook plough. <laughs> but, <laughs>
4: but did it give you respect for a kind of relearning of people who come to a recipe? Because if that's not, you know, if you're having to cook from these things and you realize that, yes, you're the one that writes the steps out, but actually the person following it fr- afresh and who doesn't know that, did, has that, has that helped, do you think? I, I think very much. And I think
2: one of the reasons that I especially wanted to do it was to see if I could improve the way I write a recipe in terms of the instructions. Because I think for us, a lot of things are very clear. Okay, you know, what sautéing means, what frying means, what temperatures, how to do it. And when you come to a book, and what I try to do is as much as possible to go to books of food that I don't know so well. Um, And we spoke about this actually when we did the talk, but with Fusha Dunlop, who who writes about Chinese cooking, and I really don't know... Anything about it, I know how to eat it quite well, but I don't know how to cook it. Um, It was really interesting just to read those kind of how far you go with notes or how you kind of explain a size of a a, a ginger root because nobody's going to pull out a ruler and you know. So it's just about these kind of things to give people a few aids on where to stop, what's a good thing, what you're looking for, stuff like that. So I think reading books. Also, what's
3: really important? What doesn't really matter? you know, and I, and I think, yeah, people are, they need specifics, actually, and especially when it comes to, uh, to foreign food, but it's a clutch, you know, a it, 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 crutch, sorry. It doesn't matter, really, if you use like three spring onions or four or two, but having that kind of amount is, that's kind of your range, and, you know, I, I, I noticed when I was cooking from people's book that I latched onto these things. And I said, yeah, actually, it's really important that having that kind of something specific really, really helps, I I find. And
4: you you guys have that in your in this book as well, because I think what it really does well is set up, helps you set up a kind of image in your head and then practically describes how to set up your kitchen in a way that gets it as ready as possible, you know, on the starting blocks, so that when you do come home after whatever kind of day you've had, and you want to have a meal together or you want to cook for yourself or you want you know you're prepping because you've just remembered that there's three people coming round for dinner i think this book does a really good job of of setting that up in a mental way you know how to be mentally prepared for that like it doesn't matter if you haven't got this thing just breathe for a second and then trust this and taste that and then also practically so i'm kind of interested in both of you what are the things that you think are most most important having to have in your kitchen to make it as ready as it can be, and by that I don't mean, you know, the the, the fastest blender. <laughs> you can save your fingers, and I know from Sig's talk that that it's a thing, and it's also in here, isn't it? But yeah, what is it?
3: It's a big, it's a big thing in our lives. It's a very fingers.
4: big yeah.
2: thing. He says it's a big thing, but we maybe have fish fingers once a year. You know, that's maybe a big thing. Well,
3: we think about that. We
2: too. think about them. <laughs> I think scales are important, sadly. Um, I mean, I always use weights. I know Itamar just said it doesn't matter if it's three or four carrots, and it doesn't matter, but a carrot can be anything. You know, the sizes vary, and I always put weights because I would like to know. And
4: you're a baker as well. And so. I'm a
2: baker, so I think scales are important. And I actually weigh everything. I weigh water and oil and everything I put in grams and then everyone, every editor gets like really angry at me and they're like, why have you got grams for the oil? Because I just use one thing and I don't want to have a jug and this and this and this. I use scale for everything because the idea is that any one of you would be able to create that same dish. Not You can do it the first time and then next time change whatever. That's fine. But I think it's always... You know, good to give very specific things. And I think. It's not fine. A good (laughs) night.
3: She says that's fine, but she doesn't think it.
2: You should hear what he says to my mom every time she changes something in one of our recipes like I didn't give you
0: permission
3: <laughs> no, because she would be like oh yeah I cooked your salad but instead of the leaves that you don't, I couldn't be So I just used some lettuce that I had instead of peaches I just used some cucumbers and then <laughs> instead of garlic it was just like I didn't use it at all and instead of olive oil I just put some tahini on top and it, it, it worked really well it's a good recipe <laughs>
2: <laughs> So good knives a good just because they make life so much easier and then onions, garlic, olive oil, and lemon. That's the only things you need. Maybe cumin and tahini in our kitchen. But yeah. that's all you need. Everything else is like, anything works. And we're not, you know, go to the supermarket and buy most of the stuff there, apart from tahini. Occasionally buy a good tahini. Occasionally, you know, if you're somewhere, and we always do, like on when we go abroad or we go to like a crazy market, we'll buy something that we think
3: beans we buy a lot a
2: lot of beans yeah
3: I think it's so personal do you know I think every and that's the thing really that every kitchen or every kind of little home has its own culture and that culture is in the kitchen and that's kind of you know your your go to thing like with with Ed Smith you know his dad that would have honey and marmite or you know my father's omelette all these little they work for you and they're part of your story. You know, maybe it's kind of the grand dish that you cook and you have your things for it, or kind of the, the quick fix that you have. That's the, the culture of your home, that's who you are. And you know, this is ours.
2: And this is what's nice about cooking from cookbooks, is you, because eventually, you, if you're just cooking without recipes, and they, we always discuss this, we end up kind of with the same, it's like a, a same scope of flavors. And sometimes you get bored with that you want to try someone someone else you want to like completely cook something that you wouldn't cook and this is where books or recipe books come in because if you follow a recipe and you actually follow it properly you come out with a dish that you would have never produced yourself you can make a beautiful salad with frikka you know and you mix other stuff and it's going to be delicious it's not but if you follow someone else's recipe to the tea then you get something that is just not going to taste like something you would make and that's what's nice about it
3: yeah that's really nice actually because uh, you know sometimes you just you cook something and you'd say well I just say it tastes like everything else that I cook (laughs) you know it can be completely different things where you just say oh yeah you know I'm bored with it and you when you want to really try you know be outside of yourselves a a little bit then you know following it it's, it's a really
4: nice way and you're you're always surprised I'm always surprised in this book we're going to do a little bit of testing of the two oh of no. you no, <laughs> no 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 but I want you to answer for each other or what what's the recipe that Sari you would cook for Itamar from this book at home if it was just the two of you what is do you there think? anything sweet that's there because
2: he's like a glutton no I mean the tahinian <laughs> you know the tahinian white chocolate cake
3: for sure for sure 100% 100% that yeah that's, 10
2: points you know
3: is, so, so have you tried it so good this cake. It's just like unbelievable. It's so good.
2: And what else would you I mean Savory. Savory for you? Well you'd eat all of it, wouldn't you? Yeah. That's
4: the problem. Yeah. So very very, <laughs> very, <easy
3: crowd. laughs> very very easy crowd. <laughs> very <laughs> easy Okay, crowd. it's about
4: well, what about you? I mean there's a story about the first the recipe f- in the, the book. Fritters, yeah,
3: absolutely. The you potato explain? fritters, the latkes This is this is kind of, you know, my oil on water. This is like This is what Said wants to eat all the time, I think. This is, you know, it comes to it's just, it's very simple. It's grated potatoes and and some eggs and flour and really nothing.
2: And fried. That's, you know, forgetting the, you know, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. operative word here.
3: But this is, you know, and we'll have it like uh, once or twice a year, I'd make it when she, when I see that she needs, you know, a little bit of a lift or a little bit of comfort because she's quite cheery. And you know, very energetic most of the time. Uh, but every so often, when she needs that lift, then we'll do the fritters and then you know some cucumbers or something to dip them in, or even without, and that that will be 100% your dish. I think this this is you know going back to what we said before, the the what you cook at home. It's this is your culture. This is your relationship. You know i'm going to cook this and this person will be happy i'm not going to put this in because this person will not be happy and it's it's a very you know it's kind of petty a little bit and it's kind of you know but but home life is <laughs> and uh i think that's something very very wonderful about it cuz it's it's a form of communication that's i don't i don't need to talk to you you don't i don't you know more than that, I give you what you want, I give you what will make you happy. I think that's lovely.
4: Well, it's And I
3: love, you know, to, when, to go and see that in, in other people's homes.
4: That's what I was going to ask, is do you, either of you have a favourite meal at a home that wasn't yours? Wow.
2: Mm. Most people are quite scared to cook for us, yeah. which is not... Yeah, you know, I uh, wonder why. No, they shouldn't, <laughs> because we're just happy if anyone's bothering to cook for us. There are certain things Bridget, again, yeah. uh, makes for me for my birthday. <laughs> um, but like a southern fried chicken, which is not really anything that I would make myself. So oh, the
3: Bridget's tuna melts. Oh, my God. That's eaten melts, oh you know. Oh, my God.
2: Um, it's very strange, because if we go to people, if they're okay with cooking for us, they're not going to cook the same thing twice. This is kind of where, the only place where you need another chef to say like, oh yeah, you know, this is what I cook, You know, and this is why having kind of this fried chicken is a special thing, because Bridget knows it's excellent. I love it. So, you know. But but most people you go to, they'll try and cook you something different every time, because they're trying to impress you or they're trying to do something like that. Um, What about in familiar homes
4: to you that aren't yours?
2: I mean I go home still and my mum will make me a chicken pie because I love her chicken pie. Yeah. <laughs> it's
4: nice. I think maybe
3: we're not uh, being welcomed in many homes. <laughs> <laughs> very often. This is what I'm t- this is what uh, also, I think when
4: people come to yours it's so it's so good. Even if it's not
2: it's you not had like leftovers from a shoot, did yeah. you And
4: it was incredible. <laughs> no, but the whole the no. whole thing no, no, You're just <laughs> so good at you're so good at hosting people and even it's not—it's not even like you've planned it for weeks. It's just a, just how you know how to do it. I'm sure that.
3: To be fair, that's that's our comfort zone. Yeah, exactly. That's so that's probably where easiest. you're, yeah.
4: you know, where you're happiest, yeah. which is amazing. But this definitely is a, a, a bible for those, those recipes that you that you learn. So you you know you make them a couple of times with following the recipe and then you learn them and especially the ones you know for the us two and and for friends those are the ones that you want to become part of your repertoire and I think it's it's exciting and it's a stunning book but I've asked you a lot of questions Ah uh, no <laughs> I think we all could but it is time if you have any questions please please ask away we will need to repeat them because uh, we might not be able to hear you from the back Does anyone have any Already burning that they've been waiting to ask? Anyone? No
2: one has Don't be scared.
4: I think we've talked so
3: much we just covered <laughs> <laughs> everything yes, what, there is to, what, to no say about this. How
0: thing? much have you had to compromise the authenticity, authenticity of the original recipes
2: in order to either accommodate the food that's available in the UK or the UK
4: sort of taste buds and what what people you like? Mean, you country. mean
3: in the restaurants? No,
0: in the book.
2: The book is no. There's no compromises at all, to be honest. I think you can get more stuff in the UK than we could get back in Israel. Because, I know it sounds very strange, but because of the whole political world, we don't get anything Lebanese in Israel. We don't get anything from, uh, from, from Amman, from, from Iran, from Iraq. It's, it's, it's like boycotts. So we get stuff that's made in Israel and Palestine. That's pretty much it. The rest is not available and when we came here we actually were so excited because we get our tahini from Lebanon and we get Iraqi uh, pomegranate molasses and it just we get crazy Irani wild pistachios and uh, you know and it's just stuff we would never get our hands on No, back I mean, home I think so it's,
3: it's it's such a kind of world pantry London is the only the, the sad thing a little bit is fresh produce yeah. but this vegetables is are still hard but it's never, uh, it's nev- it needs, you know, vegetables, they need to be fresh. And it's never, everything's always important.
2: But it's getting better and a lot of stuff is coming from hotter climates and there's a lot more farmer's markets and stuff like that where you can buy good, fresh produce as well. Um, and things like the
4: Hobadod's situation. Yeah, like
2: getting organic uh, broad beans, which is amazing. Or, you know, getting really good rice. You get amazing rice in, in England because... It's hard to... Like, Israel tries to produce as much as it can of its own food. But that limits what you can get there. So, actually, I think our food is better here, and they're really... I mean, yeah, you you would have to go and buy a few things. And, actually, there's a bit in the book that explains what to do with a jar of something you bought. Because I hate it when I buy a jar of something for one recipe, and I've got... I've used one tablespoon, and I've got the rest of the jar of, like, (laughs) Korean peppers in the (laughs) cupboard, and I don't know what to do with it. So I've put in the end, like, every recipe that will apply to anything that is... A bit strange, so if you buy Harissa, it's all the recipes that you would use in, in this book, and a few kind of references on what to do with it otherwise. The same with preserved lemons and tahini and stuff like that, bec- and sumac, and all of this stuff, because otherwise, you get annoyed because you buy it and it's there.
3: Well, you get annoyed.
2: I don't like it, it's you know. the
3: bane of like you don't know how many meals we have that it's just like <laughs> to finish things. <laughs> and we, I like we, empty jars, yeah, we have, we have <laughs> some, like, we have, especially like before we moved. Flats. So before we go on holiday, we have like a week of saying just cooking the weirdest things. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I said that. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: There's no weird things in the book.
3: No, it's a, they didn't make it to the book.
2: Which
3: uh, you you bring
2: back? Can you repeat? that? When we go to Israel, what do we bring back?
3: The question was, what do we bring to? Because it's always.
2: It's also what we take.
3: So we, we bring to Sarit's parents, they, they still miss their. You know, the. Marmite. Cheddar, cheddar. marmite, McVitie's.
2: <laughs> Branson pickle. Branson
3: pickle. <laughs> uh, bostol- Coleman's mustard powder. Bristol cream. Cherry, yeah. So English food of the 50s. So we
2: go with a suitcase full of food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Suitcase full of food to Israel. Same suitcase, comes back with Zatel.
0: The Le- uh, Lebanese, Lebanese
2: are um, are, uh, tahini. tahini, but now we've kind of stopped because actually we're quite happy with this one but we still bring a couple for home for, you know, old times sake. Amber.
3: The worst is the amber spice because it's...
2: Well now we know, make it as well. You see that like we found yeah, ways to make a lot of things that we used to bring because... This
3: stuff is so pungent. It's full of like fenugreek and curry leaves and really really strong stuff and we open the suitcase, <laughs> we'll be like, whoa! Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, I don't know how nobody ever stopped to see if we're smuggling anything else. Because <laughs> we always go back with bags it's of, true, of pungent powders.
2: And a lot of smoky paprika.
3: Because yeah. they
2: do a Moroccan, like, smoky paprika that's got oil. And... Falafel scoops. Falafel scoops, still.
3: Yeah.
4: Well, like ice cream scoops, but...
3: No, no, the little... The little Falafel scoops. scoops.
4: Which you can't get here for some reason. Like a metal contraption. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, these yeah, thing, yeah,
3: these little things. Because well, they, they last like a month. And hair cream. 15
2: yeah. years, I still use the same Israeli hair cream. You see, this is like, it's weird.
3: Well, but, but most but
2: of the stuff <laughs> we've lost <loved laughs> works. Because <yeah. laughs> I'm worth it, yeah. Uh,
4: <laughs> we can all hair flop yeah. on this panel,
3: yeah. Um, other brands. Other
2: brands, no. No other brands. One brand. Same one for 15 years. If they break down, I have
4: to shave my hair. <laughs> um, any more questions? In London, if you're not eating at home and you're
0: not working, where would
4: you eat right now? When you guys eat out at the moment, when you're not eating in your lovely home or at the restaurant, where do you go? And be specific because we like specificity.
3: <laughs> where, I, I, where we go is the Canton Arms near our home. Uh, we've recently been to Shu in soho which is amazing. We've which been is a Taiwanese, yes, Taiwanese, recently been and then apparently. been back again, yeah, and, and we've, again, we, we, <laughs> was, <laughs> we were such faces as well. We ordered so much. Uh, <laughs> we've been a few weekends ago at Max's sandwich shop.
4: Oh. Yes, is amazing. Recommended by
3: everyone needs to go there. It's the questioner
4: herself. So <laughs> far
3: away from. For us, it's very far. But it's yeah. in, where is it? It's Crouch. in Crouch End. Oh,
4: yeah. don't even I know where that. I ends. wouldn't
3: even know where to put it on a map.
4: <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's a little sandwich shop, with a guy called Max who's there all yeah. the time, and it's called Max's, Max's or just Max's. Yeah, and he this man makes sandwiches that like you wouldn't even believe. It's unreal. They look like illustrations of sandwiches in children's picture yeah. books, and they taste better. They're amazing. It w- that was great. Yeah. Uh,
3: where else is nice? Roca. Yeah.
4: We like to go to a lot of food that is different.
3: That is not Middle Eastern. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
4: Where else? But talking of Middle Eastern food, what are we going to eat tonight? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't actually make this, did you? What Julia made it. Julia made did it. Which you saw before. Who's Julia? Uh, Julia is our head chef. She Executive
3: she imperial. She tries to take care of everything <laughs> when <laughs> we're not
4: around. <laughs> And when Uh, we're around, actually. What's overflowing with with goodness (laughs) behind my hair? Overflowing is uh, chicken with uh,
2: plum and uh, fennel and tarragon marinade, and it's roasted with plums. um, And they kind of become a bit of a chutney and a sauce, and that's chicken. Then there is barbecue aubergine, which is one recipe that we... actually is a Honey & Co recipe. There's three of them in the book that we just had to include
3: because Otherwise, we would have a riot.
2: And people keep asking for them, so yeah. it's like silly not to. So, barbecue aubergine with a jewelled rice salad, and that's one recipe together. Uh, and then there's a cherry and frica and fly tabbouleh. <laughs> uh, try not to eat the fly. Is
3: really selling it, isn't it? It she? is
2: selling it, yes. Yeah. Without the fly, uh, frica, cherry, pistachio tabbouleh, lots and lots of herbs and in this case using frica instead of the kind of more traditional bulgur wheat because it's got that kind of smokiness and the freshness and if you don't know what frica is, it's the wheat picked when it's still green and then smoked on the sheath so that all the flavor goes in and then shaken out. So it's kind of very fresh uh, and it's kind of a salad you can make uh, this season and this season alone because cherries come and go. Yeah, it's a very uh, in and out. And then uh, maranchinos which are almond cookies with orange blossom and little chopped apricots inside and yeah so this is this is for friends right different things for different things you know yeah.
4: from different chapters yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's mix you've done a range we've done a range well it looks it looks incredible and this will just be a tiny taster of what you'll be able to do if you have this book yeah I mean I hope you agree this has been so wonderful to hear you guys talk longer because we you know we have fleeting chats and they're fantastic but you're both fountains of um, yeah. <laughs> of, of <laughs> wondrous knowledge, and it's so nice to hear how you talk together. And I would like to come around every night to your home, he please. Counts. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> Most um, nights is not that much food. Yeah. <laughs> you can come to the restaurants, <laughs> <laughs> um, but could we please give these guys a huge round of applause? Yay.
3: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Honey and Cook. We hope you enjoyed it, even if you didn't get to try the food. I promise everything was absolutely delicious. There are some wonderful guests coming up in the next few weeks and will be available to download. So make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave us a review if you can. that will be really, really great for us. This show is expertly produced by Hester Kant, music by the great Ellis Russell. If you want to come along to one of our talks, you can join our mailing list on our website, honeyandco.co.uk, or follow us on our social media at Honey & Co. Hold up.
1: What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.